My name is Edward Vidaurre. This is my poem, Sleepless in Pandemia, from my new collection, Pandemia and Other Poems. I can't sleep much these days, yet I'm tired and need to. I'm filled with strange dreams that seem to be building a mini-series of grim realities at every turn. In the morning, I let out the dogs. There's a yellow haze that floats in my town. A stick to your skin enfermedad. This pandemic has me thinking, is there a God? Then I remember the stories, the poetry and prose of the antepasados, the faith of my abuela, the observation of nature's language. And I breathe in place, pandemia, virus. We seem to be more together in this distance. This morning, the first flock of lotos made their way to the wires above our house, cantando. A grackle perched, head lowered at a distance. This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always mas. Thanks for tuning in to Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. At the top of the program, you heard the poetry of Edward Vidaure. We are celebrating his new collection, Pandemia, and other poems. Throughout the show, you'll hear more of his work, followed by a full-length interview. In addition, we're introducing you to the Nuestra Palabra Community Representative for City Council E, Daniel Sines. He is part of our citywide initiative for the Ultimate Hispanic Heritage Month Observation. We will be conducting events in every single city council district Find out when we're coming to your town and also find out which city council representatives are or are not working with us and why. We look forward to meeting you in person and remotely as we continue to celebrate our culture. You can get more information by visiting any of our websites, nuestapalabra.org, tonydiaz.net, or librotraficante.com. I want to thank our crew for donating their cultural capital to bring this program to you. Leti Lopez, Rodrigo Bravo, who mixes the show remotely, Claudia Soler Alfonso, Jesse Aranda Comer, who is our summer intern through Rice University, Antonio Diaz, who is also our summer intern, Lauri Flores, Stefano Cavasa, and El Castillo, president of Lulet Council 60. The Nuestra Palabra radio show is archived at the University of Houston Digital Archives. Our hard copy archives are kept at the Houston Public Library Special Collections Hispanic Archives. I'm happy to join you every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. for Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say here on 90.1 FM KPFT. Also on Tuesdays, I host Latino Politics and News. I also get to see you on the political talk show What's Your Point on Fox 26 Houston. Thank you for tuning in. Let's talk art and culture.
Edward Bidaure. This is my poem, This Is How I'm Going to Die, from my new collection, Pandemia, and other poems. I'm driving 40 miles an hour south on Bicentennial this morning, listening to Believe by the Bravery, and I don't hear the sirens approaching nor the coming of the train. This is how I'm going to die. But maybe in August of another year, I'm still writing and I have a stack of books to read. My daughter still waits for me to come home after work and I haven't seen my mother in a while. And the train will be coming real fast like in the movies. In the train, a cargo of important metals, maybe even parts to make a new shopping mall. Shoot, I don't even know what trains carry anymore. Maize, dirt, fuel, coffins. I'll have had a perfect cup of coffee. My house will not be my home anymore, nor my books need reading. I won't have any cigarettes to smoke. The big tree out front would seem to be licking away. All the homes as I drive will have their eyes shut. Every light as I drive, green as if pushing me away faster. I will pass by a man's shop with a sign that says, 70% off all men's suits, and I'll know which mannequin I'm wearing to my funeral. Welcome to Nuestra Palabra, Latin writers having their say. Today we are introducing you to one of the Nuestra Palabra community representatives. Many of you already know him. His name is Daniel Sines. He is the representative for Houston City Council E. And that, of course, entails a certain geographical area that I'm dying for him to explain. First of all, welcome to the show, Daniel. Thanks, Tony. I appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to uh, our conversation tonight. And I want to let folks know that you're a native Houstonian raised in the East End. Shout out to the East End. You are extremely proud of your family with your wife, Liliana, and three children, Jeremy, Lucia, and Rafael. You're a graduate of the University of Houston downtown with a bachelor's degree in psychology. You've worked in the IT industry for over 20 years and you're a senior partner with Nieto Technology Partners. You're a fellow alum of the Project Blueprint Leadership ISD and currently enrolled in the Leadership Houston program. You sit as board chair of Young Learners, which is a nonprofit focused on providing pre-K schooling to low-income areas of Houston, which is really, really vital. And you also work with other education-based nonprofits. Your passion for community service comes from 
both your father and mother who are Chicana and Chicano institutions in the city. They both serve as civil servants of the city of Houston. His service is dedicated to providing an equal education for all students, regardless of race and income. And thank you so much for volunteering to be the Nuestra Palabra community representative for City Council. Because you had a little bit more room on that plate. I guess you wanted to sleep just one hour a day. <laughs> well, Tony, I, it is a balance. And it's one of those I do have to ask my wife for permission first. And she usually tells me, okay, well, as long as you can spend time with me and the kids, I'm okay with what you do. So... Shout out to my wife for giving me that liberty. That's excellent, though, because we got to have another show just to talk about that balance because we just can't run to every single emergency as it pops up. There's just too many. It's it's every layer of government. It's every single topic. And then half of it is just explaining to people how it is a Latino issue. So that makes perfect sense. And I, I think that we get a lot from being with familia, no? I agree, Tony, and I'd love to circle back and talk about that balance because there is a need for strong Latino representation in all facets of our community. Some of our greatest resources, like yourself, I, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how many of you guys uh, are able to keep up that energy, but I do know that there is a strong need to find those who are willing to help and even more importantly, to cultivate within our own next generations the leadership that it's needed to represent us. I think one of those keys is we have such a deep bench of talent like yourself that have been groomed by those before us. And what I think is that there's a lot of different of those components working right now as we move forward for this ultimate Hispanic Heritage Month observation. Let's let's bring it back to your home ground. Now, a lot of times people think that Latino serving districts are just City District H, which is served by Carla Cisneros, and City District I, which is served by Robert Gallegos. But our agreement is that every single Houston City Council district is a Latino district. So let's go to E, which it's got an interesting shape. So. <laughs> I, you know what? It, it has to be one of the most awkwardly shaped districts in, in Houston. And, and that's literally because it covers over 40 miles worth of city land from Kingwood all the way to Clear Lake. And it hosts some major economic institutions. The Ship Channel runs through it. Lake Houston runs through it. Kingwood Medical Center is in it. So there's so much packed in this district uh, and yes where most of us think okay latino communities north side east end bro we're we're everywhere we really are and there is a there's a large community to be found here uh, in district d but the the problem that i feel is that since the district is so spread out that it's hard to say i'm really part of this district where District I, man, we, we knew the people in District I, right? We knew the people in District H because those are concentrated areas uh, where District E, uh, I believe, fails uh, in that. And part of it is just the geography. So we do invite folks to go to the Houston City Council website. They should also look up their own City Council representative. That's one thing that I found in our search is that a lot of folks, even when they're engaged and know that 
Civic engagement is important. They may not be aware of who their city council representative is. They can actually call 311, give their address and find out. And I say all that not to insult anyone's intelligence, but just like we talked about, the geography of E is very strange. Also, people think that just because they're in the same zip code or maybe even live a mile apart that they're in the same district, they're not because you just mentioned that (laughs) this city council district links Kingwood and Clear Lake, but also there's a thin line that connects it. Tell us a little about that thin line, and then we're going to reveal what the Latino population is of that district. Yeah, so that thin line is right there on Beltway 8 as it starts to travel uh, south. So it really kind of goes from Westlake, Houston, travels down some of these older roads so that way it just adds this little this little uh, sliver of uh, of connection i'm probably if i were to move 50 feet behind my house i would not be in district d i would not even be in the city of houston <laughs> and so that that is a very unique tell of well basically how the city manages uh maintaining its um its economic strength right um and and pool so it's kind of interesting to see again uh yes please head out to uh houstontax.gov and look up council maps and you'll find in district e just how awkward it is to see how these lines are drawn and then even asking the tougher question with these lines drawn the way they are how are we supposed to act or represent as a district uh because it is quite challenging and i'll take it one step further tony if you don't mind um if you were to look at how the uh, Harris County uh, and the commissioner precincts are are laid out, I'm technically in District 1, which I believe is Ellis, and a mile north is District 2, which is uh, Adrian Garcia, and then District 4, a mile to my east all within this one area jam-packed here in uh, Westlake and Houston area. <laughs> right. And it, it, it gets very confusing, which then I think turns people off or they don't know when their particular representative's elections are coming up. And I'm not going to keep people in suspense. So that particular city council district is 40% Latino, which I think most people will be surprised by. I certainly was surprised that that was the case. We should mention that it is represented by Dave Martin, who's also Mayor Pro Tem. And of course, we're chatting in an era when there is only one Latino City Council representative, Robert Gallegos, who represents, as we mentioned earlier, City Council I. Yet Latinos are over 45% of Houston at large. And when we do talk about art and culture, because that's really what we're talking about, Typically, the conversation focuses on our dear friends at Mecca and the Talento Bilingue with the Houston Theater, both of which are important, but they could never really cater to all the needs of everyone in the city. Let's chat about what does the art and cultural landscape for Latinos look like in City Council E? Um, well, there's a strong lack thereof, right? A lot of these uh, a lot of what I've seen in these communities um, have really, I can't say it's purposeful, 
but it just has negated a lot of the Latino culture um, where it isn't, it doesn't exist. I have my daughter who's 11 and that's probably the closest thing I can come to, to Latino art here in the area. I, if I were just to pay attention to her. So the opportunities of seeing what that looks like uh, has been difficult. Uh, living in this area, uh, we do have the benefit of being part of the Humble ISD, and they have some amazing art programs and art shows, but there is uh, still a lack of focus on being able to bring out uh, the, the arts, and, and especially from the Latino communities. And that's one of the big reasons that we are uniting. So we are going to the city council. We're asking the mayor for support for the Ultimate Hispanic Heritage Month experience. We're also going to be having events in every single city council district, including E, which will feature talent on the ground and then also a traveling troupe that will represent the entire city. So it looks like we got to do it ourselves. At the same time, we do want to bring awareness to this because if we only have one latino city council district we can't just count on latino elected officials to represent us every single politician should be thinking about art and culture the other thing i want to add besides during hispanic heritage month i have been writing the state of latinx art report for 2018 2019 i'll also be writing that for 2020 for 2020 so let me ask you this one, why are you getting involved? And then secondly, part of that, we're going to ask you to write a page for the report. What would you like to see happen during this year? And then also, what are your dreams for perhaps the state of Latino art in District E for 2021, 2022, 2023? I think the concept that you're talking about, Tony, is brilliant. And that's why I was so ready to jump on board. Uh, one, the opportunity to work with you. I've know what you've done in the past and, and your ambition, and I want to be a part of that. But secondly, knowing that it does take a village, the concept of going to each district and pulling a representative and saying, hey, look, I represent this, this key district, but as a whole, this is our community and this is who we are, I think is uh, something that I believe will actually show how we can significantly improve the awareness. And, and I believe that's key there, Tony. I don't think we are in a community where people are saying, oh, well, that's Latino art. We don't want any part of it. Rather, I think we're just in a community where it's not as prevalent and the awareness is not there. Because I've had certain discussions with some individuals here in the area to say, well, what if we did this project? What if we brought something like this? Would you want to be a part of it or would you want to know more? And the people that I've talked to have said, yeah, that's great. I've never seen anything like that. Aside from your, your big events uh, there uh, downtown or something in the East End or North Side, um, you know, people have to travel to those versus being able to find it in their own communities. So that's kind of my, my hope is that as this project progresses and as we come into uh, uh, the Heritage Month, we get to be able to represent and show that the community is ready to be exposed to, to this type of art, this type of experience from the Latino community. And then as it grows, we then have the opportunity to show our kids uh, and help them develop and grow into this culture. Before um, something like this, Tony, 
the only exposure I got to to Latino art was through Mecca or a, an event at the East End or a major event downtown, which were so far and few between. And I remember um, when I was 16, my parents had sent me uh, to Mexico uh, in hopes that I would learn Spanish and understand the, the history and culture of, of Mexico. And, and I had the blessings of being uh, housed at, at a place in Guadalajara. And I went to the museums there in Guadalajara and was exposed to amazing, amazing artwork. Some of the murals, uh, one of them that always stuck out was the Hombre de Fuego. Uh, let me see, Orozco was uh, the artist. And it was this beautiful mural. And to know that we can have, we one, we have that same talent. We've seen the murals that have been popping up lately uh, in, in uh, remembrance of those who have passed and the tragedies that have struck us. And we see the talent and the artwork. And those are beautiful things. We should be able to see those uh, more frequently and not because of some something tragic, but something to represent, something uh, that's also hopeful. And seeing that from the Latino community is very inspiring to me to see that that level of progress. Man, you're firing me up. Okay, you're getting me excited. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'm bro. Well, I'm ready. Let's do this. I love it. We'll give people updates. We're looking forward to a great Hispanic Heritage Month observation like never seen before. And we really appreciate you being so generous with your talent, intelligence, and vision. Thank you, Daniel. Tony, thank you so much. I look forward to it. Yo siempre fui de club de los solitarios Mi corazón fue el daño colateral Ven, cámbiame la suerte Lo sabré al verte Que todo lo bueno se hace esperar Y hasta en la mesa está servido tu puesto Y ya cambié el mensaje del contestador Nos vamos a pasar en cualquier tiempo o lugar Yo no te busco, solo te espero Donde se hacen los destinos para ser contigo Eres un trébol, una musa como una ruleta rusa El norte de mi brújula, tú eres el plan No sé dónde estás, la puerta está abierta Cuando quieras llegar Soñé, te vi, donde quiero estar Viaje, volé hasta tu orilla Un maestro, una causa Siete vidas, misma alma Daría mi reino, pero faltas tú Y sé que vamos a pasar En cualquier tiempo o lugar Yo no te busco, solo te espero Andábamos sin buscarnos Sabiendo que andábamos para encontrarnos Andábamos sin buscarnos Sabiendo que andábamos para encontrarnos Thanks for tuning in to Nuestra Palabra, Latino Writers Having Their Say. This is Tony Diaz, and we're very happy to welcome a dear friend back to our airwaves, especially because of late we've been interviewing a lot of the writers that he's published instead of him. <laughs> and today he comes back 
as a poet. So first, let's say hi to our dear friend, Edward Vidaure. ¿Cómo estás, mano? Muy bien, gracias. Thank you for having me on your show. You've provided a lot of content for us recently. I <laughs> remind folks a little bit about your history and background, although you are familia. But I want to first congratulate you for being selfless in publishing other writers because it has had a huge impact. So first of all, we commend you for that. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's, you know, it's exciting. I, I'm... I'm just as excited as everyone else, honestly. Um, I, I, um, I, it's, it's, it's been a blessing, honestly. And this time around, you're not publishing yourself. So again, I think this is another sign of how selfless you are. Publishing other writers takes time and energy away from your writing. And additionally, you're not publishing yourself under Flower Song Press, even though you're the boss over there. <laughs> this is through our other dear familia member of the entire network Atslan Libre Press and we are celebrating the launch of your book Pandemia and Other Poems as I said I want to remind folks that your writings have appeared or are forthcoming in the New York Times Magazine, the Texas Observer Grist Poet Lore, the Accentos Review, Poetry Bay Voces de la Luna and other journals and anthologies that we go out of our way to mention because they must get constant attention. And if you're tuning in now, you've got to become an ambassador for these different ways to get our cultura and literature out. You've also been a judge for submissions for the Houston Poetry Festival, which is in our backyard. Editor for the Rio Grande Valley International Poetry Festival Anthology, Boundless 2020 and editor of Cutthroat, a journal of the arts. You're also the author of seven collections of poetry and the 2018-2019 City of McAllen, Texas Poet Laureate. We really finally remember interviewing you right as you began your tenure. You're a four-time Pushcart Prize-nominated poet and publisher of Flower Song Press and its sister imprint, Juventud Press. You're from Boyle Heights in Califas. Shout out to everybody from... Califatslan, but now we stole you and you live here in the Valle of Texas in McAllen with your wife and daughter. Congratulations on all the work that you've been doing and being part of this Chicano Latino Latinx Renaissance. And we're very happy to celebrate your new book, Mano. Are you happy that you got this new baby out? Yeah, I'm excited. I forgot what it felt like. I've been publishing books and, and working the other side of the spectrum, working with artists and their work together and editing and, and being excited about their cover art and all that, that I, I forgot what it was what it was like to put something together for myself. And it feels great and, and exciting. And, and at the same time, I, I feel nervous because, you know, as a publisher, still want to give my time to my authors and, and I want to make sure that I'm, I'm giving them their due time. It's, it's one of those things, right? Where, where I, I do want to put my book out there and, and promote it, but I want to also make sure that they feel like I'm promoting their book as well. And I just want it to be equal. I, I, I guess it's one of those things where I don't want to be selfish with, with, uh, with my time. But by the same token, I think it is vital that not only you understand how the 
writers feel and the poets that you publish, but you understand organically how the whole publishing world works. And I really fundamentally believe we all have to be treated as artists and intellectuals. Let me ask you something. You're a publisher, so why did you put Pandemia through our dear friends? And they're in San Antonio, they're, they're Tejas Lan, so we're, we're down with them. We love them too. Why did you publish through Atsan Libre Press instead of through your own press? This is my seventh collection. This is a, a book that I, I feel real strongly about. This is a book that I feel that can possibly have a chance at being up for grabs for maybe like an award. And it's something I never really looked at. But as a as a publisher, now that I see that side of the business, I, I'm a little interested in that too. And so I thought self-publishing doesn't get looked at. They're, they kind of frown upon it when, when it comes to uh, considerations for things like that. I've thought of publishing the rest of my books from now on through Flower Song or self-publishing it just because it'd be easier for me. And, and you know, But I said, well, I'm going to give it a shot, hopefully get picked up by a press and, and see see what I can do with it and hopefully put it up in the running for something. And I just thought that the book was timely for for what it, for the theme and, and what's going on. And um, that, that's, I'm taking a chance. And, and, and I'm still honored that Aslan's taking a chance with me too and that, that they believe in me as well. So um, it's one of those things where I wanted to give it a, another run at, at, at being published by someone else before I gave it much thought in, in just putting it through through the press. Well, we've been enjoying the poems throughout the program, and we're also going to include them in our next edition of MPL Lit, so folks can really see the craft and enjoy them. But it looks like you put a lot of time and energy into the aesthetics, the layout. At the same time, it is very of the moment. And I love, too, that even the name, I was wondering, how's he going to say the name? Like, is he going to say the name in English, in Spanish? <laughs> because it has all these little nuances, even when you take on the book. It's already playing with your mind. Was that intentional? <laughs> and, you, and it looks like you're doing that throughout the book. It's one of those things. It's sort of like melancholia, right? Right. right. Like, how, do, how do I pronounce that? You know. <laughs> so, so I, you know, people can say pandemia, or people say, say, why, why not pandemic? And I'm like, why not pandemia? And so, <laughs> it, it's one of those things why it just why not? I also love that people are forced to decide in the moment because they gotta pronounce it <laughs> one way or the other on the artistic side on the cultural side, but then they have to at some point confront the moment because your collection is addressing what Atlanta Libre Press calls the trifecta of crises, border issues of children's in cages and immigrants being held in tense cities to wait with little and no hope. You have a virus that has crippled the world forcing us to evaluate and test our resolve as survivors and ongoing issues of police brutality stirring protests around the world. That's all infused, taken on directly, indirectly, but I also think that you're using creative ways 
to play with that juxtaposition or trifecta? How much of that is organic? How much of that was by craft? And what what else am, are we missing? Those little nuances. Wait, with this book, I, I got really creative. If any, if anybody has has read my poetry from the beginning, um, you'll you'll know my story where I'm straight out of high school. I'm, I'm I've learned poetry through reading poetry and and hanging around poets and just um, being around poets. And 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 I, I've never been to college. I've never set foot in a university setting or a college setting. So my thing has been just through just reading and, and writing and, 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 and just toughing it out. And, and so I struggled trying to get creative sometimes. And, and even with pandemia, because I've had struggles with even pronouncing certain words. Like sometimes I have to use that little Google uh, voice thing to find out how, how do you pronounce it? I remember going to an open mic and I didn't know how to pronounce lament. No, I was saying lamin. A lot of other words I was mispronouncing, but I wasn't afraid to mispronounce. I was just going, I was spitting it out the way. You know, I knew the meaning, but I didn't know the pronunciation of it. But I wasn't afraid because I wasn't insecure with my writing. I was just, uh, I, I knew that I had to do it. Otherwise, I was going to be afraid and, and, and not get it done. And so eventually I started getting more involved in editing. You know, I went from just reading poetry, reading poetry and listening to poetry to reading books on editing and reading books on, on the actual poetry craft. And so it's, it's been a, it's been a ride. And so this book here, it has been more of, of, of me crafting and, and being more, um, uh, just challenging to myself in, in the way I write using my, more metaphors and, and being, you know, more challenging to myself with, with, with uh, the surrealism and wording and, and stuff like that, you know, just not being afraid and, and taking those chances with, with the way I write. And so um, I, that's why I'm so excited about this book because I, I, I did that. And, and even other, other works that I have working on, I see the difference. I, I read my first collection and I read my my last collection. I'm like, wow, I've come a long way for for being self-taught. I'm very happy with myself because I was a real stubborn, a real stubborn student growing up, and you know, I was too busy trying to be a tough guy and very, how could you say, resistant to learning. I think all that fits the topics because. As you mentioned, sometimes when you were reading, the lexicon switched from English to Spanglish to Spanish. I think for sure, at the very least, our listeners completely get that. But that fits this moment because going back to the trifecta that Asan Libre Press mentioned that you're addressing, some folks think of us only for the immigration issue and they forget the whole issue of police violence and how Latinos have been suffering through that. And additionally, right now, Latinos are being profoundly impacted by the COVID-19 epidemic in many profound ways. And we don't even have time to break down sociology. You know, we don't have time to break down exactly why that's happening because our lives is at stake. I'd like to have you read one of the poems and talk about them because that totally 
epitomizes all of that. And you play with language too. It's called Sleepless in Pandemia. <laughs> so you're playing with language there and you're playing with form also. I really wanted to hear how you would read it because tell us how it looks on the page. And this is also a shout out to the audience to say, hey, you got to buy the book to see how it looks on the page because we're about to hear it. Tell us about playing with all that. With Sleepless in Pandemia? Yes. It's funny because I've, I've always written short poems and lately I've been writing really, really long poems. And because now I, I'm very strict about editing, that they end up being short poems again. <laughs> you know, and so it, it, it goes to show that I was always writing short poems, but I wasn't doing the editing. So basically, if I would have been editing my short poems in the past, I would have had no poems. <laughs> well, there you go. So, that, uh, that's the calculus of editing. <laughs> Right, so it's got to write it big to have something. But with, with Sleepless in Pandemia, a lot of these poems that I wrote in this collection, the Pandemia part of it, was a lot of, a lot of it was written in the early stages of the pandemic. So it was, you know, a lot of it was even before it hit hard here in the States. So, for example, you know, there's, there's a poem here where I'm inspired by the musicians in the balconies of Italy. It's not even here yet. And so, but but there's that, I know that it's coming. I know that it's on the radar. And I, it's kind of like a tropical storm turning into a hurricane. And, and we're, we're paying attention to to the news and to, and to the scientists and to everybody, you know, saying, get ready for it. Here it comes. And so that's how my writing happened. So sleepless in pandemia was was like that. I couldn't sleep much these days. I'll read the poem. Sleepless in pandemia. I can't sleep much these days. Yet I'm tired and need to. I'm filled with strange dreams that seem to be building a mini-series of grim realities at every turn. In the morning, I let out the dogs. There's a yellow haze that floats in my town, a stick to your skin enfermedad. This pandemic has me thinking, is there a God? Then I remember the stories, the poetry and prose of the antepasados, the faith of my abuela, the observation of nature's language. And I breathe in place, pandemia, virus. We seem to be more together in this distance. This morning, the first flock of lodos made their way to the wires above our house, cantando, a grackle perched, head lowered at a distance. So in this poem, I'm observing the cotorros that are coming from South America that come and hang out here in the, in the lower valley. The first flock coming down, you know, at least to my area. Through some edits, I threw in the yellow haze that was coming in through town or, or that was making its way. Just paying attention, you know, to, to my surroundings, paying attention to nature. Um, you know, I think I'm incorporating more of that also in my writing. Um, knowing, knowing how to um, block out certain things and, and, and um, being more creative by using the earth by using nature by by listening by um knowing how to get along with boredom 
knowing how to get along with uh, myself through uh, uh, um, quietness and not so much noise. I think just settling myself down and again, being able to get along and, and understand my own boredom. Also, maybe that, that quiet fear that, that lives in me as an adult. Being a father, I, I think I, I, I try to be that parent and that, that person that has to be that security and the hope for my child so that she's not afraid and she doesn't lose hope and she feels that that everything's going to be okay. But deep down inside, I'm also afraid and I'm also out of hope at times. And so I need to be able to grapple with those insecurities and that, that, uh, that fear and, and be able to tackle those demons and be able to ride it out and live with it and get along with it so that I can survive it. Of course, you probably wrote that poem before the COVID-19 epidemic hit the valley hard. So it's almost as if you saw it coming and here it is. Any thoughts about that? Because at some point you had to let go of the collection, get it published. And here we are where it's getting worse. And right now, the Rio Grande Valley is suffering some high numbers. It's just the weirdest thing because you sometimes feel like you're living in a world with aliens. Like, are the people that are living around me, uh, are they living on the same planet? Do they do they also know what's going on? Or are they living in some other world and, and they're watching another channel? Or, or are they seeing different things because they don't... You know, they, they don't see the same thing as, as I do. Uh, they don't believe the same things, even though it's in their face. It's in black and white. And so it, it, it's having to deal with, you know, you know, and, and I hate to say, but it's having to deal with stupidity sometimes. I just, just kind of just, it's mind boggling, you know, um, it, it, it's just, it's disturbing, you know, sometimes you have to set yourself and, and set yourself apart from things, sometimes get away from social media for a while, um, and, and, and just uh, recover, you know, just try to regroup, you know, so that, so that you can, um, you know, just energize, you know, re-energize yourself, um, and, and I think the best thing that that's that's come out of this, you know, and and like I said, if 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 any if no if you haven't, um, if you haven't become closer with nature during this, if you haven't, you know, learned a new skill through all of this, if you haven't become, um, you know, better at something through all of this, then you you did not take advantage of this because. I mean, I've become a better gardener. I've become, you know, uh, a better pet owner. I've become, you know, uh, a better lot of things since since this has happened. You know, I've paid more attention to my to to the earth around me. You know, I walk outside and and, and you know, and I notice, you know, at what time the birds 
come to my backyard and look for water and food. And, and I notice my pets, what time they need to be outside so they don't have accidents inside. You know, I notice what's, what time of the day is the best time to water the grass and so that they, it doesn't burn because of the heat. So I'm learning a lot of new things and, and, you know, um, just, just, just to, you know, what's the best time for me to write? What's the best time for me to rest and know my body, know myself, know when to, you know, put the computer away and know when to turn off the TV, you know, um, you know, take time to read, take time to write, take time to be with the family. Um, it, you know, there's, there's no time to be freaking out and, and, and wondering, you know, am I going to die? You know, I mean, we all, we were all sick here in my home, you know, and we were able to, to thrive and, and, uh, keep a positive attitude and, and survive and, and, you know, work through it. The other aspect of writing is that we are, have the ability to impose order on the universe you do that with the arrangement of the pieces, the individual pieces. You also link a lot of them through the whole idea of breathing, which also, again, ties into the entire social justice era that we are in post-George Floyd. Tell us a little bit about that metaphor and then share with us the poem, I Only Breathe Here, and tell us how that metaphor worked in there. Well, you know, um, you know, here... here down here in, in the Rio Grande Valley, um, we deal with a lot of things, you know. Um, there, there's always something to, to fight about, you know. We, we deal with the kids in the cages, you know. We, we deal with immigration issues. We deal with ICE. We deal with Border Patrol. We deal with uh, so many things. And, and yet we, we don't have a high crime, you know, um, problem down here but we do have a lot of you know um i guess you want to say uh sort of like a crime prevention or some sort of like oh it's about to pop off any minute so they have all this you know um propaganda going on you know that that it's about to but but no it's not the only thing that's going on down here is that hey we're gonna you know, grab the people that are coming over from, from, you know, other countries, we're going to hold them up in cages and we're going to make their life difficult. And, and so we have that issue. And then we have the issue that's going on around other parts of the nation that we also have to pay attention to, like um, Black Lives Matter, which is part of our lives also as, as brown people, because they're minorities. And we know that as a minority, we're all looked at as the same, regardless of, of color. We're not the, the, the color that, you know, has the privilege in this country. And so we, we, have to, we have to be a part of that resistance. We have to be a part of that, um, you know, cry for justice. So um, we, we can't be on that agenda that, well, we can't be on their side because they're not on our side when we need them. No, we can't think that way. We have to fight for injustice for all people, you know? And so, you know, we're, when I'm writing about Last Breath, um, it, it's, it's, you know, it, it's talking about, you know, all our people, you know, it's talking about all our people. And, and you know, when we're talking about Last Breath, it's it's yes you know uh 
you know, Mr. Floyd, you know, comes up, you know, but it's, it's hundreds and thousands of people have died because they've, they've been, you know, you know, either hanged on a tree or put a knee to their neck, you know, and, and this has been going on for a very long time. You know, it's just now that, you know, there's, you know, cameras to record it, you know, and, you know, people talk to me about that here and I, and I'm from the project, man. I grew up in Los Angeles and, and I've seen firsthand, you know, police brutality, you know, and, and it, to me, it's like, what are you talking about? This has been going on for a long time. You know, this has been going on for a very long time. And it's not just happening now, you know, but people, people get sick of it. You know, people get sick of it. And, 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 and I think that, um, the generations that are coming up are getting stronger. They're not as tolerant, you know, as, as, as before now there's, you know, um, like I said, now they see it more and the more you see things on television and the more people talk about it on social media, it, it does that fuel. It does that fire. It does give you, uh, you know, that, that, that want for change before. And in the past you heard about it, but if you didn't see it, it's like, Hey, if I don't see it, I don't believe it. Now you see it over and over and over and over again. And, and so you want change. You don't want to see it anymore. You're tired of seeing it. So you, you want, you want change. You want to see something, you know, uh, happen. And so this is the outcome, you know, and, and it's going to get, it's going to get worse. You know, if, if, if there's no change, it's going to get worse. And, and people need to understand that, that if, if they sit back and not do anything about it, that it's only going to get worse. And, and they're going to have to, be, they're going to be at fault too for, for not speaking up and for just sitting back and, and, and laying blame. You know, it's the same as, as, as voting. If you sit back and think, well, I'm not going to vote because my vote doesn't mean a thing, then we have, you know, morons like the guy we have in office now making decisions for, for a whole nation that's, and it's dangerous. Well, if you'd be kind enough, close this out with reading I Only Breathe Here and cheat us to another poem after that of your choosing. My name is Edward Vidaure. This is my poem, I Only Breathe Here, from my collection Pandemia and Other Poems. From Aslan Libre Press. I only breathe here. A necessary inhaling. It's autumn again. My friend left me. A song has taken his place. A scythe sharpens. I only breathe here. A struggle in my throat. A weakened sigh. My dreams are real now. A truck is dismantling itself. Death is the scent. I breathe in the fatalities. The crawlers hum and show their teeth. The hymn of my nightmares. I can only breathe in spurts. My lungs swell. My throat closes tight. I am paralyzed in my living room. The wood flooring swells. My friend returns in midair, a warble, to answer my dreams with rapid wings, then no more. Then I breathe again, and the floor hardens. I am barefoot, breathing, breathing slowly. I swallow and wake from this nightmare. No one is here, no one but me, 
and a gasp. And I'll share this poem titled God is from Pandemia and other poems from Aslan Libre Press. My name is Edward Vidaure and I want to thank you for having me on your show. One, God is an open wound, a kung fu movie and a celestial sicario. God made our president with leftover road cotton and grackle droppings. His sandals are of leftover human skin from factory of suicide rock stars. Today he wears the kneecaps of Janice to match his UFO belt. God is unfazed at 3 p.m. He whispers to me from a six feet distance. God lays naked on steel surfaces with long hair covering the shadow of men. God has a sticker on his chest that reads, I voted. He's nonchalant. He has a twin. She does all the good work. Two, God is your God's God, yoga and breathing. She is the breath of life, latex gloves and exhaling the sun over mountains. She is the blamed, the curved, the torn Achilles heel. God is a beat poet, the coming strain, the big question, the control, the last minute mind changer, the finger on the gun, the safety switch. God is the ultimate filter, the events planner, the street cleaner, the thing in the sky that was there and then was not, the ventilator, the death toll. She knows the bodies are coming. Three, God is language, a lisp and stutter. God has Down syndrome, the autistic genius, the only child from the other side of the tracks. Have you ever thought of God as old? The wrinkled hobo and toothless smoker, the girl next door, the square-jawed bad hombre, creator of a new earth between ellipses, growing peonies on hyphens. God is soil and water, the trans angel the monk making booze, the anorexic gargoyle breaking off a ledge, the movement in the painting, God's number is eight digits behind iron bars, the noisemaker, the buzuela in purgatory, guilty, God is doing time. Four, God is a found poem in exile, an unbelievable truth, an asteroid belt crash, mammoth, that sound, that silence. Five, God is tired of rising on Easter. God is trying to figure out the diameter of this pandemic, writing ghostly hymns for the dead. Did you know God was the celestial laureate? Skywritings, the sounds you hear in the morning of birds and wind chimes, speeding cars and barking dogs, did you think the sound was just that, commotion? God writes those sounds into existence every day. I know when God is in a Motown mood, a hippie rock or just a lounging jazz mood. And when it's too quiet, God let the whiskey get the better of him. Six, God likes to drink with me. I listen. It has been a pleasure talking to 
with our dear friend Edward Vidaure as we celebrate the publication of Pandemia and other poems. Thanks for all you do to celebrate our art and cultura and congratulations on this new book. We wish you continued success. Gracias. Gracias. Thank you. Oh, if I could build my whole world around you, darling. First I'd put heaven by your side. Pretty flowers would grow wherever you walked, honey. And over your head would be the bluest sky. Then I'd take every drop of rain and watch all your troubles away. I'd have the whole world wrapped up in you, darling. And I would be all right. Surely be ours, and that would be all right. Oh, yes, it would.